Well, good morning. Why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 96. Psalm 96. If you have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands so you can follow along to Psalm 96. If you didn't bring a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, for sure put your hand up and take one of these as our gift to you and turn to Psalm chapter 96. Now, what are we doing this morning? Here's what we're doing this morning. We're starting a new series. It's called I'm a Christ Follower. And you're going to notice at the bottom there it says Worship, Community, Mission. This is what we're trying to do. We're starting a series where we want to bring clarity to what we're doing as a church. Um, we're a church that's been growing, so there's, there's always new people coming in, so we want to be sure, are, are we clear about what we're doing as a church? Are we clear about what we're all about? And we're all about growing as Christ followers, introducing more people to Jesus so they can be a Christ follower. But what do we mean when we say that? So, so if you're here this morning and you're, you're, you're brand new to the faith, you're like, man, I just came to Jesus, I've just started following him, then this is a perfect series for you as you can grow in what that means. If you're just checking out church, you're like, I don't even know about this whole Jesus thing. I've been coming for a while, kind of kicking the tires on this thing. This is a perfect series for you. As you can find out, hey, well, here's what I'm actually being asked to do as I follow Christ. If you've been a follower of Christ for years, this is a perfect series for you as we learn what are we going to do together as the church pursuing Christ. As a church, we, we want to have a, a unified clarity on this. So, so when someone says, hey, hey, what are you guys all about? We can say, this is what we're all about. We want to be clear. We, we, we want to be unified. We, we want to be together in this as a community, all going towards the same goal. We want to have an urgency about this. What, what do we mean by, by urgency? I mean this, that, that there's people across Muskoka and Perry Sound who have never heard of Jesus Christ. And so there's an urgency to this. That we want to see the gospel go out through Muskoka, Perry Sound, and the world. And so we don't, we don't want to be messing around with trivial stuff. We don't want to be messing around with, with oh, well, what do you do, do here? And is that really important? No, let's get down to what the important things are, what we're doing. We don't want to waste a lot of time on things that don't really matter. And so our hope, our hope as elders, we've been praying through this series, is that this series could bring clarity, could bring unity, and could bring urgency. Why? So we can remove all the distractions, we can remove all the excuses for us to be able to walk with Christ together. Because Jesus said to his very first followers, he said, follow me, walk in my steps. And so that's what we want to do together. We want to see what does that look like. And so that's why you see down at the bottom, worship, community, mission. What does it look like for us to worship Christ? So every one of those, we're going to take two sermons in each one. We're going to talk about the heart of it. And then the action of it, the heart of worship, the action of worship. What is worship? Worship is this, this ongoing, passionate pursuit of Jesus in my life. That's what we want to be about. That's what we're going for. That's what a Christ follower is. I want to pursue Jesus with my whole being. That I want to be about community, where we do this together. Where our, our lives are being poured out for each other. So we're going to talk about what's the heart of that community. Why do we do it? And then we're going to talk about how we do it. How do we do this together? How do we have an uncommon community where we carry each other's burdens? We're involved in each other's lives. And then thirdly, where we go out on mission. I mean, our whole purpose is to be on mission. We're, we're, we're gathered together. Why? To, to be on mission for each other in here and out there to the world. And so we want to see what does this look like? What does it look like for us to follow Christ? Because here's the thing. It's all about our life being all about Christ. It's, it's about having our life being all about Jesus Christ. So, so how do we make that up as a church? What's that look like? Well, our foundation, as, as a church, our foundation is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. 
That's our foundation. And on top of the foundation of Jesus Christ, we have, here, I'm going to put it up here for you to see it. We have our, our four pillars. These are, everything we do comes out of these pillars. The foundation is Jesus, and all our ministries want to have this as, our, as what's, what we're doing and why we're doing it. We want to have unapologetic proclamation. What's that mean? It means we're going to preach the word of God with, with boldness, without apology. To say, this is what God's word says. You're going you're to see unashamed worship in our church. Where we just lift high the name of Jesus Christ in worship. You're going to see unceasing prayer in our church. This is what we're about. This is what we're shooting for. These are the pillars. This is what we want to be about as a church, unceasing prayer. What do I mean by that? I mean this, that God does nothing but an answering prayer, that in our church we believe in the power of prayer. It was prayer that took a small group of, of a few families and, and got them on their knees praying to see this birthed. It was praying that kept this thing going as God was growing our church. It's prayer that's going to see a new church planted in Mexico City. So we believe in unceasing prayer. We also believe in unwavering witness. That means we're going to share the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. Those are our pillars. Our, our foundation is Jesus Christ. That's what our, our ministries will all look like. And what's the outworking of that? The outworking is we're going to do this as followers of Christ. So we want to look at, well, what does that mean? Then how do we live as followers of Christ? And so that's why we broke it down this way. We're going to intentionally give our time for following Christ with worship community, and mission. Practically, what's that look like? Well, let's, let's break it down to time. If I'm going to give my time, how much time am I going to give? What's this whole following Jesus at Harvest really look like? Well, with worship, we're going to say, I want to worship daily. In my life, my life will daily be about worshiping Jesus Christ. We're going to walk out what that looks like next week. I want to worship weekly. What does that mean? I'm gathering together, committed to this, that once a week I want to get together as the body of Christ to worship, to lift up my voice and sing, to get under the teaching of God's word, and I'm going to commit to that daily, weekly. I'm going to commit to community. Well, how much time am I going to commit to that? I'm going to commit to say, hey, every week I'm going to get together with other believers in my small group to do life together. I'm going to commit to that as a Christ follower. Here's the mission. I want to commit to be on mission. What's that look like? I would say monthly, you would kind of take a, a look at your, your life and your family and your schedule and go, what are, what are we doing with our finances? I mean, mission's about give and go. What have we done with our, our giving this month? What have we done with our going this month? What ministries have we served in? Have we served once a month somewhere? So I want to look at that. And then the annually, here's a big one, that, that we would commit annually. God, what do you want to do with me annually? Where do you want me to go? That once a year I would lay apart some time in my schedule say, this is what we're going to do as a family. Whether it's serving locally at a camp or a mission or a, or, or a day camp or something here. Or whether it's saying, I want to go to Mexico City. I want to go on a mission trip and we're going to do this together. Okay, so that's, the, that's what we want to give our lives to. to be living out on the mission of following Jesus in this way. So this morning, we're going to start with worship, the heart of worship. So let me pray, and then we're going to dig in. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your clear call. You call us to be like your son. Lord Jesus, you've called us to follow you, and then you've given us the ability to do it because you change our hearts and our lives. That those who have laid down their life to you as you've called them to yourself that you now give us the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to walk this out, to, to live out what it means to be a Christian. God, I pray this morning as we dig into your word that you would show us what the heart of worship is. 
What does it look like for us as Christ followers to worship you, Lord Jesus? And I pray we be changed by it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if, if this is going to be who we are as a church, and if, 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 if worship is a part of it, I would ask this, why do we gather like this? Why do we get together to worship once a week? I mean, what do we get out of this? Why are we even doing this? Why would you wake up on a freezing cold Sunday morning, try to start your car that says, I don't want to start, I don't want to start. Mine did that. I don't want to start, I don't want to start, right? Because it's so cold. And then you, you drag your kids out of bed, you drag yourself out of bed, and you show up here. Why? Why? Is it because, well, you know what? Because I have friends here that know me and love me, and I know them and love them. There's the community part that draws me out. Maybe it's, oh, I, I, I just love the singing. There's just something about her. I, I just, I just want to be taught the word. I want to grow in that. I, I want to change. I want to be transformed. And those are all really good reasons for why we would do this. I mean, our hope is transformation. Our hope is to be changed. Our hope is to grow. But listen, the reason we do this, the reason we gather, that transformation doesn't happen outside of God's presence. Why do we get together like this? Why do we gather like this? so we can taste and see the goodness of God, so that we can be in his manifest presence, we would call it. Why do I say manifest presence? Because God is present everywhere. He's, he's omnipresent. But when we gather to recognize, to lift high the name of Jesus, to point to the glory of God, there's a manifestation of his presence in that. Where there's transcendence is here. And when we experience that, when we experience God's presence when you taste that, you weren't you satisfied with junk food any longer. Self-help gurus just won't cut it anymore. Empty religion loses its draw. Things that used to draw our hearts no longer have the same appeal to us. When you taste the glory of God, when you know it, when you see it, and you know it when you see it, you're like, I want nothing else but that. And that's the hope of our church. That's what we want. That's what we long for as a church. That's why we do what we do. Because here's the thing. We're, we're, we're not going to be the biggest church ever. We're, we're never going to be the hippest church ever. We're, we're never going to be the most loving or most friendly or most on-mission church. And some of those things are good things to shoot for. But here's the thing that we're really shooting for. Here's our number one goal as a church. That we want to experience God's glory. We want to know God's presence in our midst. Because when we meet God, we can't help but be changed. That's the number one priority for us as a church. Listen, that's the number one priority for anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ, that you would see God's glory. That's why we want to start this whole thing off talking about worship. So if you're taking notes, our, our first point is this. Well, what is worship? Well, what's that look like? What's it look like to worship God in that way where, where we experience God's presence? Well, if you have Psalm 96 open, let, let's read the first few verses. It says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. It, it sounds like worship has something to do with singing, doesn't it? I mean, over and over again, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. Here's, here's something, though. What can happen in our church culture is not only is that where we start, but it's, that's where we end it. So, well, I guess worship is just singing. That, that's what it's all about. And, and so what do we do? We, we, we get this idea that, that worship is this little thing that happens compartmentalized on a Sunday morning. Just cram it in those, those minutes on a Sunday morning, and that's worship. Listen, singing is a way to worship, but it's not everything of worship. 
Singing is, is one of the responses. It's an expression of worship. It's this emotional expression of worship. And that's why we want to take up a big portion of our Sunday mornings doing it together. Why? Because we want to just let out our voice and our heart sing out the praise to God. And listen, if you're like, yeah, but I don't have a good singing voice. Listen, what you lack in talent, make up for in volume and let it rip, right? Like It's a heart filled with the goodness of Jesus Christ that he's your treasure and you respond in worship. And singing all through scripture is so important. So singing is a part of it. But look at verse 2, it goes on. It says, sing to the Lord, bless his name. Then it says, tell of his salvation from day to day. Well, there's, There seems to be something more than just a once a week on Sunday singing some songs together. There's a worship that happens day to day. There's an ongoing action of worship. Let's keep reading. Verse 3 says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods, for all gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the nations be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord he comes, before he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world in righteousness and the people in faithfulness. There's some themes that you can see repeated over and over here in this chapter. One is this, worship is actually something that we give. It says, ascribe to the Lord. It says, it says, declare. It says to worship. And worship literally means to bow down and kiss. It says, bring an offering to the Lord. So it would seem that there's an emotion to this where we sing to the Lord. There's also an action or an act of the will where we're doing something. There's a sacrifice, there's a giving, there, there's, there's a sacrifice in that I've got to make changes in my life in order to do this. So worship is about giving and sacrificing. Worship's also about another theme you see here is the glory of God. Just over and over again talking about God's glory. Now, now what is God's glory? Glory is, is something that just emanates from God. It's, it's God's worth and holiness and awesomeness. The, the word literally means weight. It's the weightiness of God that when God falls on a place, you, you feel the weightiness or the heaviness of this. It's glory that would cause somebody to walk into a church service. We've heard testimony after testimony of people who come in who know nothing about God. It's like, man, someone just dragged me in, into this service. They walk into this building and they immediately start crying. What causes that? I mean, we're in a cafeteria. Like, what's going to do? It's on Christmas Eve, on that service where so many people are first time ever in church. You wouldn't believe the amount of people that came up after and said, man, I've never been here before. What's with this? What's going on in my heart? And they're in tears. Yeah, the music was great Christmas Eve. It wasn't that great, right? <laughs> Something's going on there. That's the glory of God. That's the weightiness of God. It's the glory of God that would cause somebody to look up at the heavens at night and see a sky full of stars, and they would say, man, there's something more. 
In fact, Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens declare God's glory. The, the end of this chapter says that the trees are singing God's glory. The, the sea is giving out God's glory. The field is exclaiming God's glory. Day by day, creation is saying, God is glorious. So the, this glory comes down from God, but we see in this chapter here that glory is also something that we give to God. So what creation does passively, we're called to do actively. In fact, not just called to worship, we are created to worship. As those who are created in the image of God, we're created to give away. We're created to give glory. Now, if, if glory is weightiness or heaviness, then, then whoever or whatever takes that, that position of, of glory in your life is that thing that, that has a weight in your life, that's a, the center of your existence. It's that, that treasure you cherish most deeply. It's where your passion, your, your yearnings, your longings, your desires, your enthusiasm, it's, it's where, they find your, where they find home. You were created to give glory. To, to ceaselessly pour yourself out on something, to give yourself away, to give away your heart, to give away your mind, to give away your, your money, your devotion. It's gonna go somewhere to something or to someone. Why? Because we're always declaring glory. So the question we have to ask is, what or who has that place in my heart, that position of glory in my heart? What's the most important thing in my life that I pursue? That's what you worship. It's not just religious people that worship. Everybody's worshiping something. And because we have limited time and resources, money, energy, time, we need to make sacrifices in order to worship. So we, that's what worship is. It's me sacrificing. It's me giving. So I, I say, you know what? I, I don't have time for this because I'm pouring my time out in this. That's sacrifice. I, I don't have the money for this because I've got to give my money to this. I don't have the energy for this because I'm pouring it into this. We sacrifice for the things that we worship. We're, we're making those worship decisions all the time, every day. You start looking and your checkbook starts to show what you worship. Your calendar reveals what you worship. Your inbox shows what you worship. Your, your web browsing history shows what you worship. So to, to sum it all up, here's a couple definitions of, of what worship is. Tim, Tim Keller says it this way. He says, worship is pulling our affections off of our idols, these other things that draw our attention other than God. That's what an idol is. It's not a little statue in your house. It's anything that you put your hope in, right? Anything that you say, this is going to give me joy and purpose and meaning. He says, pulling our affections off of those idols and putting that affection on God. That's his definition of worship. That's a good one. John Piper says it this way. He says it's savoring Christ, treasuring Christ, and being satisfied with Christ. That's worship. So, so how would you sum it up? Here's the way I would say it. Worship is this. It's what I give my life to. It's whatever I give my life to, to find purpose, hope, joy, satisfaction, and meaning. That's what worship is. It's what I give my life to because I'm hoping that in that I find joy, hope, purpose, satisfaction, and meaning. That's what worship is. So practically, what's it look like? Well, when Paul was writing to the Philippian church, and, and, and he writes this in Philippians. He says, you guys, your God is your stomach, is what he tells them. Your God is your stomach. That seems kind of weird. That you, what, I worship my stomach? 
I mean, I get it. If worship, if glory means weightiness, yeah, I get it. After turning 40, I've been adding more glory to my stomach for sure, right? It's a joke, weightiness. Anyway, let me keep going. It'll come to you. All right, so what does he mean there? He says this, listen, when you worship something, if, if your stomach is in the position of glory, if it's where you find your hope and your satisfaction in your body, then food becomes what you worship. And you, 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 your temple is the fridge or the menu or the buffet. Or, or maybe it's the other way. Maybe with your stomach as your God, it's not so much that you gain all your, you know, when stuff is hard, I just eat. When I just want joy, I eat. Maybe it's the other way where your, your temple isn't the fridge. Your temple is the gym. And, and your Bible is that little calorie thing on the side of every piece of food. As you worship your body and, and that's where you find your joy and your hope and your, so the word worship, it, it literally comes from an old English word that says worthship. It's what do you ascribe worth to? I mean, think about addictions. It's, it's not an alcohol problem. It's a worship problem. Where you say, but that's where I find my hope and my help. When I celebrate, it's alcohol. When, I, when I'm hurting and need hope, it's alcohol. It's a worship problem. What will you sacrifice to find joy in? Because what happens is we'll always sacrifice to the thing we worship. We will sacrifice relationships. We will sacrifice money. We will sacrifice time. We'll sacrifice energy. We'll sacrifice God's law. Yeah, I know what the Bible says where I find hope and joy, but, but you know, I, I'd rather not forgive that person. I'd rather not change my lifestyle. I, I kind of enjoy sleeping around. I know God says not to, but I, I'm going to sacrifice God's law because that's where I find my joy. I'd rather not give. Yeah, I love Jesus. I, I worship Jesus, but man, I can't sacrifice more than maybe two Sundays a month to worship together as a church because I'm worshiping other things that are taking up that time. We sacrifice to meet our worship needs. I mean, I love how C.S. Lewis put it. He, he said, our problem is not that we have too much desire. I think often we think, man, my problem, why I can't follow Jesus, my problem with sin is my desires are too strong. He says, no, it's not that your desires are too strong. It's that you're so easily satisfied. And we give up the promise of hope and life and meaning and purpose in Jesus Christ for trinkets that the world throws our way. So easily satisfied. So what's the point? What's the whole purpose? How do I be a Christ follower? It begins with worship, where I'm going to go hard after finding my satisfaction in God. I'm going to go hard with seeing Jesus Christ as the prize, Jesus as my treasure, Jesus as my soul's food, Jesus as my heart's delight. Why? Because Jesus Christ came and changed you if you know him took care of your greatest problem, which was sin, and brought you into relationship with God. And so we say, that's what I'm pursuing now. I want to go everything after that. You start seeing everything in your life as worship. You're, you're going to approach life a little bit differently. And instead of saying, well, I just need to drink less, or I need to date somebody else, or I need to, I need to be less angry, or I need to be less anxious, or I need to serve more. I need, no, we, we start to, instead of saying those things, we say, I need to worship God. 
You start to look at that, that area in your life that you've been in, this just isn't where I want to be at. We need to start looking underneath and go, what is it that I'm worshiping that's bringing that out? I mean, our counseling here at Harvest, it's all based on this biblical principle. Where you place your heart and affections is what you worship. Where you place your heart and affections is what you worship, and disordered worship is the root of a disordered heart and life. I mean, that, that's the whole foundation right there, that, that disordered worship, I'm worshiping other things, that's the root of a disordered heart and life. The, the root of the problem is that we're worshiping someone else or something else other than God. And it could be food, it could be sex, it could be alcohol, it could be ourself, it could be a relationship, it could be comfort, it could be control. And you can spend your whole time pulling out all the weeds of the sin, but listen, we want to get to the root of it. What am I worshiping? And so when we truly begin to worship Jesus, we pull our affections off of those other idols and put them on Christ, and we begin to treasure Christ above all else, fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. So we need to ask, well, if that's what worship is, if it's that heart attitude, then how do I worship? How do I do this? Well, if we want to unpack that a little bit, how do I worship? Well, first of all, partly it's going to be expressed in community. Look at verse 3. It says, declare his glory among the nations. Verse 7 says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. There's this idea of we're, we're doing this together. If you read Psalm 95, right before Psalm 96, over and over again, the psalmist says, let us, let us, let us worship. Let us ascribe glory. Let us. It's this, this group community. That, listen, we need each other. We experience God's glory when we gather together to serve together, to worship together, to study God's word together. I mean, here, here's the thing, listen. You could listen to a far better preacher on a podcast at home than coming here to hear me preach. You could listen, you could pop a CD in that has production value much higher in the worship music than we can produce here in a cafeteria. You could do that. But you'd miss out on the benefit of the encouragement and the challenge of others. You, you'd miss out on the increased joy that happens when worship is shared amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. The hope that's stirred within us as we share our burdens, as we point each other to Jesus together. We do that here. That's why we gather like this. But just a quick side note about, about us gathering together. I mean, we need to sacrifice to make this happen, and time is so important. We need to sacrifice our time. But, but here, here's the thing that I've noticed in our church. that this, We can't just rush in late. We can't just think, it, well, it's okay if I just miss the first few songs. And listen, listen, I'm as Muskokan as anybody else. I struggle with being on time for things, all right? And I also get that there's, there's busyness and life can be difficult depending on the stage of life you're in. I got three kids. I mean, I get that it's, it's not always easy. Isn't it funny? We can round our kids up for soccer and hockey and there's never really that much of a problem. As soon as church comes, our kids turn into little demons. Like, what, what is that? Listen, there's a spiritual battle going on there and I get that, that it's difficult to get ourselves up and our kids going and, and let's get here on time to get them into Harvest Kids so we can come worship together. That happens. But listen, if it's a habit, 
Like if you can say, man, I can't ever remember hearing Eric's call to worship to start a service. If you're here this morning, you're going, we sing before that guy preaches? Like I've never even heard us. Like if, listen, if that's the habit of your attendance here at Harvest, that's a heart problem. It's not a time problem. I want to be careful to say this. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. I don't think, man, why is he looking at me? He knows I'm always late. I don't. Our church is too big. Perry Sound, I can't be looking into a video going, oh, he's looking right. I'm not, right? I'm not looking at somebody. But I'm just saying this. Listen, if that's where you're at, it's a heart issue. We want to gather together to worship together. I want to be together from the beginning. Let's worship the Lord together. If you're thinking too, if you're thinking this, hey, you know what? That's okay, man. I don't really care so much for the music. I just want to get to the preaching part. You don't understand worship. It's worship that changes us, not information given from a sermon. It's the worship that transforms us. I say this all the time as Eric and I talk about this. We don't worship to make you a better hear my sermons. I want to preach in a way that we produce better worshipers. Now, it's interesting that the New Testament speaks so little on how we're to do this, though. It's interesting, when you, when you see the Old Testament, there's all these rules and regulations, and you need to do this, and you need to be like this, and, you need to, and then in the, in the New Testament, you, you don't see hardly any of that. What you do see is this intensification of this call for a heart of worship. But it, it's not like it was absent in the Old Testament. You read it all through the Old Testament as well, the prophet saying over and over again, it's about your heart. It's not about the religion. It's about your heart. Make sure your heart is before the Lord. And the New Testament picks this up. Jesus says, hey, don't worship me with your lips when your life is far from me. We're not just going through liturgical moments here at church where we sing some songs while our minds and our hearts are everywhere else and, and our hearts are worshiping someone or something else while we're singing. Our hearts need to be engaged. And listen, it's, it's not about the quality of our singing either. It's not about how, how good we sing. It's, it's not about how, how technically strong the worship team is. I mean, I think in our church culture today, we're starting to get lost a bit in that, where we kind of equate worship to how well the worship team does. And we say, man, that was a powerful service because they played so well. I mean, let's keep God at the center of our worship. Let's remember that the essence of worship, of powerful time in God's presence, is, is when our hearts find their satisfaction in him. And we gather together like this because we want to encourage each other towards the same pursuit. As the psalm says here, we want to give God glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says that we are created to give God glory. We're created to reflect God's glory. You ever think about that? That's why we were made. I don't know if you've heard of this building in, in London, England. I think they completed it around 2014, and, and this, it's called the Walkie Talkie Building. This building's crazy. It's this huge, tall building, all made of glass, this reflective glass, and it's concave-shaped. Right? So every day at a certain time, the sun hits this concave-shaped building and then beams a focus and reflects that sunlight onto the pavement below. Have you ever, anybody ever burned ants with a magnifying glass when you were a kid? 
okay, me too. It's all good. It's okay. We can be honest in church, right? This is like a huge magnifying glass kind of thing, right? So what would happen is there's a story in the paper about this rich dude who drives his Jaguar to the front of this building, parks it, and goes inside, comes out to his Jag melted, like parts melted. It just shines down on this thing. Not a great thing for a building, but listen, listen, it's what we were designed to do. We were designed to reflect the glory of God so that, that when people come into contact with you and I, they say, man, I think I met Jesus. I think I know more about who God is because I was with those people. That's what we've been created to do, that we reflect God's glory. So a good question to work through, and maybe a question that we can talk out with our families this week, or, or for sure we're going we're gonna to dig into this as small groups. The question we need to ask is, who or what do I reflect? What do I worship? What am I reflecting as glorious? I got some questions that, that might help us figure this out. Here's some more questions. If, if you're worried about trying to write these so fast, you can't take them down, we're going to get them out to you. It'll be on our website. It'll, it'll go out on our e-news. It'll be in our small group. Some of these questions here. Here's some questions. How, how am I reflecting the glory of God? Here's the first one. Does my time and energy reflect the glory of God as my ultimate treasure? Does my time and energy reflect the glory of God as my ultimate treasure? Or do we pour everything into our work? So many people are sacrificing their family on the altar of work. When work calls, everything stops. Everything's sacrificed for that. No Sabbath, no rest, no time for anything else. I gotta work. Or maybe it's a schedule or control, or comfort. Maybe it's the acceptance of others. As long as my spouse is happy, as long as my boss is pleased with me, as long as my friends accept me, I mean, I'm putting all my time and energy into that. That's what I care about. Maybe it's a hobby or a sport. Maybe it's an object. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a spouse where, where they're, they're your idol. They're, you worship everything. Everything's about them. Maybe it's your kid. Then I'm going to circle everything. My kid is the little God of my home and all my time and all my effort is going to be all around this kid. Maybe it's someone you're pursuing. I mean, I, I need that person in my life. Our homes and our marriages are important. But listen, our homes and our marriages and our families and our lives need to be Christ-centered and others-friendly. Not other-centered and Christ-friendly. Where do you put your, your greatest and the first of your time and your energy? I mean, does it go to Jesus first? Do you put your time and your energy into, into growing in his word, into prayer, into serving, into ministry, into caring for those that God's put in your life, whether it be your family or your friends? Does my time and energy reflect the glory of God as my ultimate treasure? Here's another question. Does my giving, my saving, and my spending reflect the glory of God's sufficiency? Does my giving and saving and spending reflect the glory of God's sufficiency? Where people look at your life and go, man, look at how they handle their resources. Obviously, God provides. How are we doing there? I mean, right now, if I were to say to you, hey, hey, I've got, I've got $10,000 I want to give you. Hypothetically, I'm not really doing it, right? But if I were to do that, give you $10,000, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Man, this is what I would do with that. 
Man, I'd go do that. I would go buy that. I would experience that. Listen, that's probably, that could be your idol. I mean, Jesus was the one who said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. It's why when we, we take up the offering every Sunday, listen, we don't do it because it's something you have to do in church. We, we don't do it as a filler before the, the announcements. We don't do it as just something because we need to meet some budget. We do it because it's an act of worship. It's where we can come and say, here's what I'm giving to the Lord because I trust in him, because he's given me everything, because I want to see his mission accomplished. And we, we give as an act of worship. Here's a third question we can ask. When I'm tempted to worry or fear, does my life reflect my trust in the glory of God's wisdom, ability, and sovereignty? When I'm tempted to worry or fear, does my life reflect the glory of God's wisdom, ability, and sovereignty? What causes worry and fear in you? Here's the way you can, you can figure that out. What do you most plan for? Or what do you most pray for? I mean, maybe you find yourself, you're so frustrated with God because, God, I've got this plan and you're not coming through on it. God, I've, I've got this thing I've been calling out to you for and it seems like you said no. It seems like you said not yet. God, I need it now. Like, God, you're the pinata. Prayer's the big stick. I did my job. Like, give me what I'm wanting. God, you're, you're the big vending machine in the sky and prayer is the coins. I drop the coins in. When do I get what I asked for? I'm supposed to be healthier, God. I'm supposed to be married. God, we, we're supposed to have kids. I'm supposed to have a better job. You're supposed to heal this relationship that's broken. God, I asked you for stuff and you didn't answer and we can find ourselves in this, this deep spiritual funk. We can find ourselves getting more and more angry at God because God didn't give me what I asked him for. Do we trust his care? Do we trust his plan? Do we trust his love? Do we trust his sovereignty? I mean, another way of asking that, an even harder way of asking that is, is to ask this, who or what, if it was taken from me, would cause me to walk away from God. God, if I get sick, God, if, if, if my kids get hurt, God, if, if I lose my health or if I lose a loved one, God, if my marriage falls apart, if, if I lose my job, if you don't provide this person for me, I'm not gonna worship you. I won't declare your glory. I will not sing a new song. I won't trust you and I'm done with you. Listen, I get it. That, that's a hard question to ask. I don't ask that question lightly. I, I don't pretend that to, to, in the midst of pain and suffering to come and to bring a sacrifice of praise to the Lord, I don't pretend that that's easy to do. I do know for me that the, the greatest reflection of God's glory is when I see somebody in the midst of terrible suffering say like Job said, though my Savior slay me, yet I will trust him. We worship from the depths of our heart when we see that nothing taken from me on this earth can take away the greatest treasure I have, which is Jesus. 
And there, there will come a day when every tear is wiped away, when every pain is dealt with will cease. And Jesus, who's taken care of my greatest problem, he took care of my sin that made me separated from God. But because he's done that, because he's taken care of that, that nothing on earth can come close to that. We can say with the Apostle Paul that, that all this momentary affliction can't compare to the eternal weight of glory, that I have Jesus for eternity. I mean, really, it all comes down to this question. We think about heart and worship. The question is this, what is heaven for you? I mean, Paul says, I consider the eternal weight of glory. I consider heaven. What, what's heaven for you? Begin to think, where do I run for comfort, for safety, for, for joy? What, what's that hiding place? Like, like, man, if I could just go there, if I, if I could just go to that place, if I could just be with that person, if I, if I could just be doing that one thing, man, if I could do that, I would be so fine. Man, I wouldn't even need Jesus. Do my appetites, do the things that I crave and desire, do they, do they show that, that Jesus, you're satisfying? And it's not a question of, of you have to sacrifice and give up joy. No, I love how John Piper says it. He says, God's most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. Man, when I, I go after everything with joy and excitement and passion, why? I'm seeking after Christ and the joy we gain in Christ. There's nothing else that satisfies the deepest longing of our hearts than that. Two more quick questions. Does my response to disappointment or slander or hurt or offense reflect the glory of God's mercy and forgiveness? Does how I respond to slander and hurt and offense reflect the glory of God's forgiveness? When I'm sinned against, I gotta start to think, what's my greatest desire? Is my greatest desire when someone sins against me is justice? Is it, is it retribution? I mean, so often we, we hold on to bitterness and anger because it feels good. We're not doing it because it feels bad. I mean, it just feels good to be mad at you. You hurt me. I'm, I'm not going to forgive you. And in the moment, that, that feels well. And, and Jesus, no, 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 to worship, you sacrifice that. Bring it to the cross. Lay it at my feet. So, man, I can't let go of that. That feels like death. And Christ says, I know. I called you to come and die. When you forgive someone, when you release hurt and offense, you're reflecting God's glory where he showed you mercy and forgiveness. And that's why we forgive. Because we've been forgiven. Here's the last question. Do, do my daily life choices reflect the glory of God's holiness? Do my daily life choices, what I wear, what I watch, what I do, do they reflect the glory of God's holiness? I think often you can see this where, where this doesn't fit well with my, with, am I really doing that? Is if, how you view God's word. I think often we can look at our daily life and we kind of look at God's word and go, okay, I know God's word says that, but that's so old fashioned. Like it's such an old book. Like why do I, I don't want to follow that. Really? Like that's how you do family, man. I'm not doing, I'm not doing husband and wife. That's so old fashioned. Man, I'm not going to let it impact my entertainment choices. Like, that's such an old book. Why would I, why would I change what I, what I do about that? Why would I change my lifestyle? And, and what happens is we kind of, we're like, hey, I want to read God's word. And we're getting into God's word. And we're kind of like, 
Not lame. Not old, dumb. <laughs> totally lame, not doing that. Right? And we start to throw this stuff away. So well, what are you doing? You're going through going, lame, dumb, lame. Oh, I'm reading God's word. Really? Again, the question is, do my daily choices reflect God's glory? Let me wrap this up by saying this. I mean, worship isn't so much an outward action, but an inner heart. It's where we show over and over again by the way we live our life, we show that inside we say, Christ, you're my treasure. We say like Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In both I get Jesus, so I'm pursuing Jesus in both of those. It's a life. It's, it's not coming in here and singing. Listen, if you come in to a church service and you're raising your hands and you're singing so loudly that, that Christ is my all in all, yet nothing in your life reflects that. Nothing in your week would show that Christ is your treasure. That's not worship. That's just singing. It's a heart that says, I treasure Jesus above everything. Here's the great thing about worship, though. Maybe you're here this morning, oh, man, that's heavy. That's hard. Man, how, I, I don't show up every Sunday morning with my heart in that way. What do I do with that? Listen to the result of worship. Our last point. What's the result of worship? What do I do when my heart is full of idols, when I don't feel much like worshiping God? Listen, when you worship, when you bring those to God, God transforms us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it this way. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, saying we've seen Jesus. There's no veil now. Like when Moses saw God, his face was veiled. But we've seen the glory of God. It says we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. When we see Jesus, when we savor Jesus, when we worship the Lord, we're being transformed. I think so often church has it kind of mixed up. Church will say this, hey, hey, you need to behave. Then you can join us. And then you'll be changed. It, the scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says this, behold, and you'll be transformed. Behold, and you become it's, it's not behave, it's not follow some rules, it's see Christ, it's see Jesus. And guess what? When you see Jesus, when you're worshiping him as your greatest treasure, your life is transformed. You begin to become like Christ. I'm not saying, hey, we gotta come here as perfect people to worship. In fact, I would say this, I would say the greatest worship services are when they're full of people who understand the gospel, how broken and needy we are. The best worship comes from those who recognize I desperately need Jesus today because my heart is not where it should be, but I trust in his grace, in his goodness, that yes, I'm more sinful than I'll ever admit to any of you, but I'm more loved by God than I could ever imagine. That's true worship. A, a room full of broken, needy people who see Christ as their all in all will always be a room filled with way greater worship than a room full of people buttoned up following all the rules of worship. Worships for those who are broken, who find their rest in God's forgiveness. 
I mean, every one of us is looking for rest. We're, we're looking for that, that rest, whether we're religious or non-religious. We, we want to find that place where, where we feel purpose, where we feel we're worth something. We worship Jesus because we've found ultimate rest in the gospel. That Jesus came and died for you. That, that Jesus sacrificed everything. Why? Because like it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, because God says, you are my treasured possession. And Jesus gave up glory. Jesus gave his life. This infinite cost, this incredible price. Why? For his treasured possession. And one day, as the worship team comes up, listen, one day, those who live their lives for the glory of Jesus are going to gather with the angels and saints in heaven and worship completely glorified, totally transformed. I mean, that, that's what heaven's all about. That's what we're looking forward to, that one day all our selfishness, all our brokenness, all our anxiety, all our depression, all our pain will be removed so we can worship Christ with no hindrance. I mean, are you looking forward to that? I mean, what a day that's going to be where God strips away all the brokenness so we, we can join with worship. We can join with, with the angels in heaven who are saying in Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. I love Revelation 4 and 5. Joining in worship and then what happens is they, they say, who's worthy? And John, writing the book of Revelation, says they couldn't find anybody worthy. No one worthy. And John says, I begin to weep. No one's worthy. And that's the angel says, no, no, no. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, Jesus is worthy. Jesus can transform. Jesus can save. And worship erupts in heaven. I mean, are you ready for that? I mean, what we do here this morning, this is practice for that moment in heaven. So, so I would say this, let's stand together. Let's ascribe the worthy, the glory to God's name. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, our desire is that you would be treasured above all things. That we'd experience true worship even this morning, Lord God. that from our hearts we'd see you above everything else, that we would treasure you, that we would see to live is Christ, to die is Christ. Father, I pray that, that you would place on our hearts, even this morning, the value of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.